Good morning. So John's left me a lot of time. Let's see if I can feel it. <laughs> it's actually a big chunk of scripture, so it might be good. I mean, the scripture's good, but I mean, good for time or whatever. I can't think of. <laughs> well, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. We are finishing, we'll finish chapter 11 today. And Paul finally answers or gets to the conclusion of what about Israel? Has God forsaken Israel? And so we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do it, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for all that you've done for us, for all that you give us, for allowing us to be here this morning in relative safety, Father God. We know there's so much craziness in our world and Lord, it, it may continue to escalate until the time of your return. Well, we're so thankful for your promise, Lord, that you are always with your remnant, that you protect them, Lord, that nothing could separate us from your love. And Lord God, there's nothing that the enemy could do to take us away, Lord, out of your will. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your divine protection, for the sealing of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us this morning as we open your word. Just uh, show us, Lord God, how we might glorify you by understanding your word more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this morning's message is The Mysterious Plan of God. And as I was thinking of it, you've heard, probably heard that verse. Uh, not, it's not even a verse. That's what I'm going to get to. That phrase, God works in mysterious ways. And someone will say, that's in the Bible somewhere, right? No, it's not. The concept of the principle might be. But it's not in the scripture. Kind of like that verse, spare the, spare the rod, spoil the child. You're like, that's in the Bible, right? Well, not so much in that, like that. Money's the root of all evil. Well, no, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. And as I was thinking of just those things that we say, your patience is a virtue. God helps those. Thanks, Mike. Mike, you come up here because I don't know what I'm doing. God, how, I, don't, I just know the Bible, Mike, so I don't know those things. <laughs> but the point being is, you know, we hear these things and we take them as, as truth. And it reminded me of, of this section of Scripture that we've been studying, that we hear these things, even from pastors, but when we take a look at the Scripture, sometimes we're like, you know what, does it really say that? And I want to encourage you, as I've been doing over the past few weeks, as we've been studying specifically the context of the teachings of Israel, is what does the Bible say? Let's not uh, trust what every pastor says based on a theology. We need to look into the scriptures and go exactly what the Bible is saying to us and understanding it. And it's really a good example of studying the Bible on your own and reading the context of what is going on around scripture. And so God working in mysterious ways, yes, he does. But what exactly does that mean? And, you know, that actually doesn't even come from Scripture. That quote comes from a hymn that's in, your, that's in your bulletin by a man named William Cowper. And it says this, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Interesting. Well, this morning we're going to see that God, that the Apostle Paul is going to unmask this mystery of Israel. And so let's go through that 
and uh, see what Paul has to say. Remember the context now. Paul was explaining in the first half of chapter 11, has God rejected his people, meaning Israel, based on all that Paul has preached through Romans, that, you know, you don't come, you're not right with God by your nationality or your religious affiliation or works. It is based on believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've studied earlier, but what about all the promises of the Old Testament? Aren't those going to apply to the nation Israel? And now he comes to the question, and we started answering last week, has he rejected his people fully? And remember, he said, may it never be, as he explained how God has not rejected his people in the remnant. He's going to save the remnant of the nation Israel and the remnant of Gentiles. And John was saying, we're the remnant of the church. And we are. If you're a believer, you are the remnant. We don't believe or think the Bible preaches universal salvation. So there is a remnant. And over and over, the scripture says, so let's look into now the mysterious plan of God. So let's read starting verses 17, and we're going to read all the way through 36. Excuse me, verse 16, all the way through 36. So Paul's continuing his explanation of Israel. He says in verse 16, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, he's speaking specifically to the Gentiles within the Roman church, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell. Severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to the nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are of the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the, for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient 
that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And then verse 33, this is the summation of all that Paul has been teaching through 9 and 11. He basically, well, he says this. Let's just go through it. He says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable fathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has known, excuse me, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I like that because Paul has just been trying to explain, if you've been with us over the past weeks, predestination and your part. And now what about Israel? And then he says, oh, God's wisdom is just unsearchable. Sometimes I feel like that after saying, like, I don't even know. I'm more twisted and confused than I was before, and God just wished Paul would have made it real plain, right, and say what he meant. But let's go back and, and figure this out together. <clears throat> Hopefully you caught some of, uh, or understood some of what was being said by the Apostle Paul. So let's look at this mysterious, of plan, this mysterious plan of God, and we're going to look at it two different ways. One, in regards to the nation Israel, and two, in regards to the Gentiles, because he's talking about both groups within this, and that's what he'd done in the beginning of chapter 11. He did that as well. So let's look at the Israelites first. And in verse 16 is really a confusing one. Let me read it one more time. It says, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also and if the root is holy, the branches are too. So there's two questions when I was studying. Said, okay, what is he talking about? And who's the lump? Who's the dough? Who's the root? Who's the branches? Maybe it's like six questions. I don't know. There's a lot of questions there. So before we go into this, we have to understand what is he talking about here before we proceed. So this description that he's using here is really an illustration of the first fruit offering from the Old Testament. You see, dough was used to prepare the cakes that were to be offered to the Lord, the first fruits. So the first fruits, because they were set apart for the Lord, were considered holy. And the dough that was being prepared to make the cake was holy. Like, this is for the Lord. This is the Lord's offering. It's holy, set apart for him. So that's why he says, if the first piece of the dough is holy then the lump is also holy. The piece of, that comes out of the dough, because the whole is holy, that little piece is going to be holy too. So he's given us this illustration as he's going to expound on the nation Israel. And then he goes into a second illustration, which really conveys this, the same point as the first, which is this. If the root is holy, then the branches are too. And his point here is going to be that Israel is set apart by God for special attention in a general way, as we'll see in a few moments. Let me say that again. They're set apart by God for special attention in a more general way. So verse 17 says, but if some of the branches were broken off, so the branches are the children of Israel, the root and the dough that he's describing is the nation Israel that was originally set apart for God in the Old Testament. 
the tree and the dough probably symbolize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the nation Israel. And so here's this root, the forefathers, and out comes from it branches, meaning the nation Israel, the children of Israel. So he's saying if the root is holy, then the branches are also holy. And so he says, but if some of the branches were broken off, as we learned last week about God's process of salvation, some of the nation of Israel was broken off for their unbelief, as we'll see in a few moments. If you look at verse 20 with me, it says that. He says, they were broken off for their unbelief. So earlier, and this kind of goes back to the whole, did God do it or did they do it? If you were here last week, it says God hardened them. And then this week it says for their unbelief. Well, which one is it? I think it's both. They both work together. I don't know which comes first, but Scripture says both things happen. God hardened them, but also they had an unbelief. They're responsible for it somehow. So the children of Israel have been broken off, verse 17 says, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and became partakers with them of the rich root. Now again, we're just going to focus on Israel at this time. So the children of Israel have been set apart for a special purpose for God, as I said, in a general way. If you remember in chapter 9, turn with me for a minute. In chapter 9, Paul says this very thing. Chapter 9, look at verse 4. In the beginning of this whole thing, what about Israel? He says about Israel, who are the Israelites to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises? Who are the fathers and from who is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all? God bless forever. Amen. There's no doubt that the nation Israel in the Old Testament was used by God for a special purpose. All those purposes right there. Paul said it in chapter 9. And so this is what it's talking about when it says they were holy. Not holy in the sense of the New Testament sense of holy, meaning salvation. No, he's talking about a special general way of usage, just like he did in chapter 9. So this is what God's mysterious plan for the Israelites is. He set them apart for a special attention. And then he tells us, but some were broken off, verse 17 and 20. Why were they broken off? Well, if you go back to verse 11 of chapter 11, I'm going to show you a few different things. Paul says, they did not stumble as to fall, did they? May it never be. But their transgression, it was their transgression that caused them to be cut off in in verse 11. In chapter 3, verse 23 Paul tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That include the nation Israel. And as we've been studying through Romans, they've also relied on their heritage as a right standing before God. They pursued righteousness by works and not by faith. And then again, verse 20 tells us that they had unbelief. Unbelief in what? They did not believe in the Son of God. This is what started the question. If all these... this. This issue with Paul, if all the promises of the Old Testament belong to the nation Israel, then why aren't they believing in the Son of God? He's trying to reconcile this. And as I said a moment ago in verse 7, it says that God hardened some of them. So this is what it means. This is how they were broken off. They didn't believe. They refused to believe the gospel, so God 
broke them off symbolically. These branches were broken off by God. Why? As we studied last week in verse, verse 11, so that salvation may come to the Gentiles and then curiously to provoke the Israelites to jealousy as well. Look at verse 11 with me again in Romans chapter 11. He says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, the Israelites, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Who jealous? The Israelites. They become jealous. And Paul's talking about his day, the remnant that is there right now. He says this is happening in verse 5. He says, in the same way, there has also come to be at this present time a remnant in the first century paul was already saying there was a remnant of israel that is now being saved and this is how they're going to be saved he's talking about it right here and look at verse 31 paul reiterates this in romans chapter 11 verse 31 he basically says the same thing i just read in verse 11 he says so these also now have been disobedient meaning the nation israel that because of the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, they also may now be shown mercy. They're, be shown, they're being shown mercy at that present time, first century. It's already being exhibited to them, extended to them, God's grace and God's mercy. So they were broken off for their unbelief so that the Gentiles may partake of salvation. And in the process of Gentiles coming to faith, the nation Israel become jealous and provoked to follow God as well. So again, has God forsaken Israel? The question is no, they haven't. He hasn't forsaken them. It's his plan. He's already saving them, and he's been saving them from the time that Jesus rose from the dead. The first apostles were all Israelites. The apostle Paul says, I'm an Israelite. So he hasn't forsaken us. Look at verses 23 through 24. It shows how the nation Israel, or individual Israelites, I should say, shall come to faith. Look at verse 23. He says, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So they're broken off for their unbelief in the gospel. God says if they forsake that unbelief and believe, they'll be grafted back in to the tree. Because God is able to do that. And verse 24 says, For if you were cut off from what by nature is a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, meaning the nation Israel, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. God can save the nation Israel, individual people as well. He's saying he's doing it now, first century, and he's going to do it all the way up until the time of the return of Jesus Christ. So has God forsaken Israel? No, he hasn't. They, like everyone else, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, which says that if they, they must confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in their heart that God raised him up from the dead. That's the way we are all saved. The Apostle Paul said that in chapter 10. That's the way Jew and Gentile must come 
to faith. And then look at verse 25 through 26. He says, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. What mystery? How the nation of Israel or individual Israelites will be saved. That's the mystery he's expressing. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation, he says, that a partial hardening, which we've already said, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so all Israel will be saved. Interesting. So this mystery, the Apostle Paul is saying, is just described it. God's plan for salvation for the Jews is for them to believe in Jesus Christ. And this partial hardening that's already been mentioned in verse 7, 11, and 17 will exist until when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So there's going to be a partial hardening of the nation of Israel or individual Israelites until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. The fullness of the Gentiles being the last remnant of the Gentiles. So this plan of salvation for individual Israelites is going to be until the end of time, when the last remnant of the Gentiles comes to faith. And when that happens, he says, so all Israel will be saved. Now, a better translation, if you have the New International Version or the ESV, says, in this way, all Israel will be saved. That's a really a better translation. I have to admit, for once, the NIV has a good translation. I'm always making fun of the, the nearly inspired version. <clears throat> that time they get it right. So in this way, in what way? The way that was just described, Israel will be saved. And it, but it says all of Israel. Does that mean every Jew will be saved? Well, what does the scripture say? Thank you. Or what Manny says, which is scripture. Go back with me to chapter 9 real quick, just so you say, well, I've always been taught that all of Israel will be saved. Well, if it's not in the Bible, then we can't believe it. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said in Romans chapter 9, verse 27. Paul quotes him, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is who? The remnant that will be saved. It's a remnant of the nation of Israel. Now, if all of the Israelites at the time of the second coming of Christ believe on him, then they will be saved. I don't think this is teaching that every Israelite at the time is going to get saved. It's saying in this way, the way that he's already described it to this point, all of Israel, I believe the remnant of Israel, will be saved. It is not by your nationality or your religious affiliation that you're saved. Again, remember, he said in Romans 10, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is how all of Israel, all the remnant of Israel, will be saved. Again, it's not promised universal salvation to every Jew, just like it's not promised to every Gentile. But this is a promise of how Israel will be saved. And he goes on to quote the Old Testament here at the end of verse 26, just as it is written, the deliverer, the deliverer 
will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This happened at the first coming of Jesus Christ. When did the deliverer come? He came first century. Right then when Paul was talking a few years earlier, this prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus came. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then go down to verse 32, because this reiterates the same thing that happened when Christ came. For God has shut up, meaning it's already happened. Past tense, according to the Apostle Paul. For God has shut up all disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. When did that happen? At the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. At his death, burial, and resurrection. That's when mercy to all was extended and it's going to happen up until the fullness of the gentiles so this mysterious plan for the israelites again just let me highlight it real quick number one they are set apart they have been set apart by god for a special purpose two some of them it says were broken off for their unbelief thirdly they can be grafted back into god's plan again That is how all the remnant of Israel will be saved. That's God's mysterious plan. What about for the Gentile? What about for the rest of the world? Well, let's go back to verse 17 again. And now we'll figure out what he's talking about in regards to the Gentiles. He says this, but if some of the branches, the branches being the nation Israel, were broken off, and you, the Gentiles being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. For Gentiles, they can be grafted into this root as well, the same way the nation Israel can be. Look at verse 20. It says how that happens. He says, quite right. They were broken off for the unbelief, but you stand by your faith. The Gentile can be grafted into the nation Israel, the root, so to speak, by belief, by your faith. That's how we come to to be part of the nation Israel, by belief. We're grafted in, not by anything else, not because we're so great or we did great works, no, by the faith that we stand in. As a matter of fact, The Apostle Paul warns the Gentiles in the church. Look at verse 18. He says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. So you have uh, Jewish believers and you have uh, Gentile believers in the church. And he's saying, don't all of a sudden Gentile become arrogant. Yeah, no, hey, God's cut you guys off, your people off. He said, don't be like that towards the branches. Don't be arrogant toward the Jewish nation. And unfortunately, throughout church history, the Gentiles have been and have committed major atrocities against Jews because they became arrogant toward them. Even calling them Christ killers, like they were the ones that did it. It was our sins that did it, not a certain nationality of people. We should never be arrogant, and that goes for us as well. We should never be arrogant. Towards anybody because we are saved. He continues on. 
verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. You see, the Gentiles should be thankful for the Jewish roots of their salvation. He's saying, hey, you stand or are being grown by the roots. And the roots, remember, we talked about were the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the heritage of the Jewish religion. Gentiles should be thankful for the roots of our salvation in the first century and even today, that God called a people, the Jewish nation, to share his glory with all the nations. And we are here today because of that. So we should be thankful for the Jewish roots of our salvation. It goes on in verse 20, as I read, but we'll read the latter half of it as well. He says, do not be conceited, but fear God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So for the Gentiles in God's mysterious plan, you can be grafted in to this olive tree. Also, you're not to be arrogant and don't be conceited, but fear God. Don't become boastful because you're a part of God's family, but remain humble and continue to fear God. He doesn't want the first century church, again, to cause dissension within the church and look down on the Jewish people. Say, no, remain humble, fear God. And then in verse 22, he says, Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Unbelief for the Gentile will cause salvation to be withheld from them we're not talking about losing your salvation he's just warning them again if you do not remain in god's kindness accepting god's kindness that you will be cut off just like the nation israel was they were cut off for their unbelief and the gentiles will also be cut off for their unbelief just like unbelieving israel we are to continue in the kindness of god it's a description of the believer and verse 25, let's skip down to there now, because he continues on, as we read this already about the nation Israel, but it belongs to the Gentiles as well. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Again, the mystery of how salvation will work for both Jew and Gentile, so that you will be wise in your own counsel, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Again, this is the way of salvation for the Jew and the Gentile both must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess that God has raised him from the dead. So that's the mysterious plan. Well, what can we take from that today as God's remnant, as John said earlier? Are you the remnant of God? If you are the remnant of God, whether you're Jew or Gentile, I think there's a few points that we can take from this. And it's number one is this. Know that God has a mysterious plan. So, yeah, God does work in mysterious ways, so to speak, meaning things that we don't really understand, fully comprehend. And nobody at this time understood that this is why Paul is revealing it in the first century. He says, hey, this is how God's plan will unfold. And guess what? In our own lives, 
There's a plan that God has for our lives. I truly believe that. And sometimes it's mysterious, meaning we don't understand it. We don't see how God is unfolding things and working things out. But know that sometimes it's going to be mysterious. And this is the hardest part. Number two, know that we may never understand it. I'm sure we've all been part of that. You know, we want to know God's will for each and every aspect of our life and how things are going to happen. But guess what? God does not always show us or tell us. Sometimes it will remain mysterious. So when that happens, what do we do? Well, we need to, this is my third point, trust what Scripture says about God's plans. And I'm going to take us back to verses 33 through 36 on this. Because I think this is what Paul says. Even after explaining all this, he says this, Oh, the depths and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We have to understand that whatever God is planning, it's in his wisdom and it's according to his knowledge. And then he says this, How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. Again, pointing to the fact that sometimes we may not understand God's mysterious plan for our lives. There are some things that we can point to that say God is going to do this in our lives. There's things that God wants in the believer's life. But again, there's some things he doesn't tell us. And I think this is what Paul is stressing here on top of praising God for it. In verse 34, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? It's similar to what was spoken of Job, right? When Job wanted to know all that was going on. Sometimes you're not going to know and it has to be enough. It could kill us to continually want to know exactly what God is doing. Because what? Sometimes he's not going to tell us. Sometimes we have to just go on and live and wait for God. We can't be crippled with fear and standing there and I'm not moving until God shows me what to do. Then he says in verse 35, Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? And for me, this is just like God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me to tell me his mysterious plan. I'm your God. Trust me and follow me. First, do the things that you already know. You have a hard time doing that, Robert. Why do you want to know this other stuff? Maybe it's only me in that regard. (laughs) So trust what Scripture says about God's plan. What do you know about God yourself? You know that God is good. That God works all things together for His good to those who love Him. Okay, no matter what's happening in your life, you know that God is good. You know that God is working all things together for his good. Trust him. Trust him in that. Even if it's contrary to everything into your into your being, even if it's contrary to that, trust him. Which is the fourth point. Trust that God will keep his promises. Trust it. Do you truly believe the the word of God? Do you believe that God will keep his promises? If God says you're saved and he's going to keep you to the end, do you believe that? If that's the truth, then know that he's going to work all things together for good in your life, no matter what it is. And sometimes it can be a horrible thing. 
And you may never understand it. You don't know how that's going to work out. But again, trust the things that you know about God. And that goes true for the remnant of Israel and the remnant of the Gentiles, who I believe most of us probably are. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we echo with Paul. How unsearchable are your judgments and unfathomable are your ways. And Lord, even after studying your word over and over again, sometimes we still don't understand. So, Lord, help us with our faith. Help us with our unbelief. Help us, Lord God, to trust you more. And help us, Lord God, even in the mysterious plan of yours, to know that you're working all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And help us to live by faith, a faith that trusts a loving God, a good God, a God who gives perfect gifts to his children. Help us to believe that, Lord, as we walk through this life and all the difficulties that we go through on a daily basis, Lord. Help us to always remember that. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that salvation is offered to all people, Jew and Gentile. We thank you, Lord, that we know your plan of salvation. As I've said over and over, the plan of salvation, Lord, is to all people who confess that Jesus is Lord, who believe in their heart that you've raised Jesus from the dead. That is your plan of salvation. It is that simple, Lord God, and may we believe it and trust in it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.